Good morning, and what a joy it is to be here together on this thing. There were a few moments last week when we thought it might not happen, we might be stuck in our homes again, but here we are to remember and to celebrate that morning when God put on human flesh and came to earth as a tiny baby, the promised Messiah, just as the scriptures had said he would. And to all of you who are visiting, particularly to our friends who've come from the north, we salute your bravery and we hope you'll get back when you think you'll get back. <laughs> the Bible records for us all sorts of reactions to the birth of Jesus, doesn't it? Um, we saw seven of them presented to us in that little clip and we're going to just have a look at just one of them this morning, the very first one that was presented there as we round out this series uh, that we've been working way through in December on the very first Christmas carols. We began this December with uh, Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. It speaks of the greatness of God, his mercy and her joy at the news that was revealed to her. We then moved on to Zechariah's song. Now Zechariah uh, was the father of John the Baptist and John the Baptist went on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And Zechariah's song is known as the Benedictus and it expresses the joy of hope fulfilled, that all those promises have been kept in the coming Redeemer. And then last week uh, we heard of the angel song, Gloria in excelsis Deo, a song of praise and a pronouncement of peace on those upon whom God's favour rests. And that was sung by the very first Christmas choir. The Bible calls them the great uh, heavenly host who appeared after the angel had pronounced the news of Jesus' birth to that stunned group of shepherds. And our final singer this morning is Simeon. Now, he's perhaps not quite as well known as the others. The Latin title by which his song is known is Nunc Dimittis. Now, doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well as Magnificat or Benedictus or Gloria in Excelsis Deo, but he happens to be my personal favourite of all of the Christmas carolers. You won't find him as part of the traditional nativity scene. He was not the innkeeper. He was not one of the shepherds. He was not even one of the wise men. He enters the Christmas story some 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Now, as a faithful Jew, Mary and her husband Joseph had done for their son everything that was required in obedience to God's law at the time and as the angel had told each of them. The child was circumcised on the eighth day as per the law laid down in Leviticus 12 and he was named Jesus, just as the angel had commanded them to do. Then 33 days later, 40 days after the birth, Mary presented at the temple for her own purification after the birth in fulfilment of the law in Leviticus 12. And she and Joseph brought their firstborn son to present him before the Lord to be redeemed, as is required in fulfilment of Exodus 13. And it is at this point that Simeon's encounter with the infant Jesus 
takes place. So let's have a look. Let's read this passage together from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. Now Simeon would have been just one of many who entered the temple courts on that particular day. The temple courts were a busy place. And the text gives no indication that Simeon was outwardly a man of any importance. It is unlikely that anyone saw anything particularly special or took much notice in him as he mingled with the crowd. But when the Lord looked at Simeon, what he saw was a good heart. The first thing that Luke tells us about his spiritual condition was that he was righteous and devout. Righteous tells us that he took God's word and God's law seriously and he sought to live his life in accordance with them. Faith for him was not an academic exercise. It was not an optional add-on to the rest of his life. Faith defined who he was, and he lived it. The word devout tells us about his love for God. He was careful about his religious duties because of his devotion to God. Righteous and devout, together they speak of a man who walked closely with God. That's what God saw when he looked at the heart of Simeon. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So how is your heart this morning? What does the Lord see when he looks upon the hearts of those gathered here today? Does he see lives that are defined by faith? Or does he see faith that is confined by the rest of life? Are you here this morning out of joy or obligation? None of us can tell. 
because we see what is outward. But God sees the heart. What does God see when he's looking at your heart this morning? The second thing that we learn about Simeon was that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? It means simply that he was waiting for the promised Messiah. He knew his scriptures. I've put a selection of them up there, but the Old Testament prophets are littered with references to the comfort of Israel. Simeon believed these prophecies. He was waiting for this consolation of Israel. He had lived as a Jew under Roman authority. He had witnessed the hardship of his people. He had lived with their declining religious zeal and he'd experienced the latter part of 400 long years of silence from God. But he hadn't let go of those words and he knew that comfort and joy were coming. Simeon's hope and joy did not depend upon his circumstances. They were not tied up with things. They were in the one who was coming. And so he was prepared to wait and he waited patiently for the consolation of Israel. What is it you are waiting for this morning? Beyond the obvious, I know that all of you are waiting for me to finish so that you can go home and get your lunches started. But beyond that, what is it that you're really waiting for? Where is your hope and joy? Have you been waiting and looking for them in that next promotion or that next big purchase? Are you waiting for a new grandchild or perhaps a big holiday? Are you waiting for restrictions to lift? Then you'll be joyful. Maybe you think you'll find it in a good ATAR or in completing that next degree or losing a few kilos or achieving that next fitness goal or maybe you're waiting for retirement. Then you'll find joy. I think if we've learned anything from this year, it is just how futile it is for us to put our hope in and derive our joy from such things because at any moment they can be stripped away from us and rendered useless. Simeon was waiting but his song proclaims to us that that wait is now over. The consolation of Israel has come. The promised Messiah is already here and in him we have a hope that cannot be shaken by any circumstance, the promised Messiah is already here, the wait is over, and we need look no further. There is one final thing that the Gospel writer wants us to know about Simeon, and he makes sure that we know about it by putting it in there three times in different ways. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And verse 27, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Simeon was a man who was in tune with God because of his anointing with the Holy Spirit. He heard from God. That's what his name means. Simeon means to hear. He heard from God and he was led by God 
and he was in tune with God because the Holy Spirit was upon him. And we can be like that too. Because when Jesus returned to his Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to reside permanently with all who believe. Simeon's anointing, as for all who were in the Old Testament, was for a time and a purpose. But the Holy Spirit is here now permanently with all who believe. When God looked upon Simeon, he saw a man who loved the Lord and who sought to live his life for him. A man who walked closely with God, who believed the promises of God and who had waited patiently for their fulfilment. A man who was in tune with the purposes of God because of his anointing with the Holy Spirit of God. And because the eyes of Simeon's heart had been opened in this way, he was able to see what others could not see on that particular day. A teenage mum and her husband come into the temple courts. They are carrying their infant son on that particular day. Too poor to afford a lamb for the sacrifice, they opt for two pigeons, the cheaper option. They are uneducated peasants, one of many such couples who would be in the temple courts on that particular day. Few take any notice. But the eyes of Simeon's heart were open. He'd waited a long time for this particular day. And where others saw only a peasant child, he sees God's plan unfolding before his very eyes. He sees the Messiah. He sees salvation itself. He sees hope for his people. And he recognises that their long wait is finally over. He takes the child in his arms and from his mouth flows our final original Christmas carol. Sovereign Lord, he sings, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. His long wait in darkness is over because he has seen the light of God's salvation shine into the darkness and like a soldier who has faithfully kept watch through the night, his duty is done and he's ready to be dismissed. He doesn't need to see the child grow old. He doesn't need to witness the healings and the other miracles or to hear the teachings of Jesus or even to see him crucified and raised again. He knows it's coming. He's already satisfied. He has seen the Messiah. His eyes have seen salvation and that is more than enough for him he's ready to die in peace are you have the eyes of your heart been opened yet to see salvation you know christmas rolls around year in year out we do the same things year in and year out what is it that you see each year when you look upon scenes like this, the nativity scene, a young girl with her 
husband and their newborn in a stable visited by a bunch of excited shepherds. What do you see there? Is it something of a fairy tale or a nostalgic story from your childhood that you see? Is it just something that's quaint for us to look at at Christmas? Or have the eyes of your heart been opened to recognise salvation in this scene? Do you see just another peasant child or do you see the love of God who humbled himself, took on a human form and staged the greatest rescue plan in history? Does a glance at the nativity fill you with that same unshakable joy that Simeon had? Because you too can see what he saw. Do you have the peace that he had? Because you see there in that little scene the same salvation that he saw. And you have the same assurance that whatever 2022 might throw at you, God will remain faithful. He will keep his promises and he will work out his plan. Is the hope of eternity firmly embedded in your heart because of what you, saw, what you see? Of our four Christmas carolers, indeed of anyone involved in the Christmas story, it is Simeon who seems most in tune with the plans and purposes of God. He alone records that salvation is not just for Israel, but is for the Gentiles, for you and me, people of every nation, and he alone seems to understand that this salvation will come at a high cost for this little baby and his parents. Mary and Joseph marvelled at what Simeon had said about their little boy. Try and put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Here they are, this young betrothed couple. Each of them has been visited separately by an angel who has told them that Mary, a virgin, will conceive a child and they will call him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Mary conceives. Now that's easy for us to say, but it's mind-blowing to think about. A virgin conceives and nine months later she's giving birth to the one that John would call the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mary gives birth in a maternity suite that is fit for sheep. There she's visited not by her mother or even her mother-in-law, but a bunch of excited shepherds who proclaim to her the news that the angel has told them, that a saviour will be born in Bethlehem, the town of David. And now here an old man in the temple holds their child in his arms and claims to have seen salvation in fulfilment of what the angel has said. Already, this is not your run-of-the-mill infant presentation in the temple, but it's about to get even stranger. Simeon blessed the child, and then he speaks these words of prophecy to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart too. Now those 
are not exactly the kind of words that a first-time mum wants to hear prophesied over her newborn son. Salvation would come at a high cost for this child. The child would grow up and be a sign that was spoken against. Mary would love him dearly. Many others would too, but many more would hate him. Lies would be told against him. He would be mocked. He would be rejected. He would be falsely accused. He would be beaten and unjustly tried. Ultimately, he was going to die in the most horrific of circumstances. His mother's own soul would be pierced as she witnessed this journey from the cradle to the cross. Spiritual eyesight is not all sweetness and sunshine. That is what Simeon saw when he looked at this Christ child. What is it that you see? Author and activist Helen Keller was blind and deaf for almost all of her life. But she was only too aware just how little sighted people actually see. She recounts the story of a visit from a good friend who had just been out for a one-hour walk in the woods. And when Helen asked her what she had observed, she said, nothing in particular. Helen says this, I might have been incredulous had I not become accustomed to such responses. For long ago, I became convinced that the seeing see little. How was it possible, she asked herself, to walk for an hour through the woods and see absolutely nothing worthy of note? Now, I like to think that if I had been that friend, I would have returned with a full-blown description of all the trees, the plants, the insects, and especially the fungi that were in those woods. I used to believe that I would have seen all that there was to see. That is, until one day I failed to see a six-foot hairy gorilla right in front of my eyes. Let me explain. There is a video circulating uh, YouTube. It's been there for about a decade now. It was uploaded by a man named Daniel Simons, and it's called The Monkey Business Illusion. I don't know if many of you have seen it. Twelve and a half million people have seen it, so perhaps some of you here today have. The video begins simply by asking viewers to count how many times the players in white pass the ball between them. Six players, three dressed in black, three dressed in white, appear on the screen. The two teams each have a ball. And they simply walk around in between each other, passing the ball. The white pass to the white, the black pass only to the black. Count how many times those wearing white pass the ball. It sounds like a very simple task. And it is. I watched, and at the end, the number that I'd counted was correct. But while I was congratulating myself on my powers of observation, the question is asked on the video, did you see the gorilla? What gorilla? I didn't see any gorilla. I only saw girls passing a ball between them. The video is replayed. And about midway through, this gorilla walked 
onto the stage. He then stops in the middle and beats his chest for a few seconds before he exits stage left. I didn't see him at all. And if that wasn't bad enough, not only did I miss the gorilla, neither did I see the curtain behind the people changing colour or one of the ladies in black exiting on the other side of the stage. I'm not alone. For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half don't see the gorilla. That's according to Daniel Simons, creator of the illusion and author of The Invisible Gorilla. Of those who do know about the gorilla, most will apparently miss the changing of the curtain and the disappearing girl. Now, you might like to test that theory for yourself this afternoon, perhaps when Uncle Kevin or whoever's your equivalent of Uncle Kevin is snoring on the couch. You might like to, you know, get out your phone and search up the monkey business illusion and gather around those who are still awake. Don't tell them that there's a gorilla there. Just ask them to count how many times the players in white pass the ball and see how many of them notice the gorilla on the screen. It's a fun illusion. But I think it reminds us that even in the face of irrefutable evidence before us, we can still miss that which is obvious and see only that which we think should be there. All of us will see a baby lying in a manger. That's what we think should be there. We see him year in and year out every Christmas time. And I think most of us recognise, we know in our heads that that baby grew up and that he was crucified. But some of us will see salvation like Simeon did and others will not. And the difference, I think, is that some of us are only using our eyes to see whilst others have had the eyes of their heart opened to see what is really there. Some of us are seeing only that which is physical, the rest will see that which is spiritual. What we see when we look upon Jesus matters because it determines whether we will rise or fall. See and accept God's promised salvation and we will rise. See just a quaint story of a child born in unusual circumstances or see just a great teacher or a good person and we will fall into judgment. There would have been plenty of people in the temple courts on that particular day. Only two of them that we know of, Simeon and Anna, whose story follows his, only two really saw Jesus for who he truly was. Everyone else, as far as we know, saw nothing in particular on that particular day, just another child. And that is the way it has always been with Jesus. The wise men saw a newborn king. But Herod only saw a problem. The disciples recognised Jesus as Lord and they called him as such, except for one, Judas, the one who would ultimately betray Jesus. He knew him only as teacher, rabbi. That's what he called him. Even at the cross, the two criminals either side of Jesus, one saw the saviour and received his salvation, while the other only saw an object of ridicule. What you see 
on this Christmas morning matters very much. Ultimately, it will be the difference between your rising and your falling. If you look upon the nativity and don't see salvation in that little scene, or if you know in your head that that's what it's about, but honestly, you can't really see it, then I invite you to ask God to open the eyes of your heart to enable you to really see the true identity of this little baby on this Christmas morning. So that in seeing him, you might truly come to know him as your Lord and Saviour and have that same unshakable joy that Simeon and Anna had. Would you join me in prayer? Father, there might be some here this morning who have never seen Jesus for who he really is. Would you open the eyes of these hearts this morning? Give us spiritual eyesight to see beyond the quaintness of the nativity and to perceive that journey from cradle to cross just as Simeon did. Thank you for sending us a saviour. Help us to really see him this Christmas time. Amen. Well, Simeon's song was really one of joy, and we're going to sing that song that the children sang for us this morning, Joy to